So, um, in the oasis of uh, intelligentsia, that is Ted. I stand here uh, before you this evening as an expert in dragging heavy stuff around cold places. Uh, I've been leading polar expeditions for most of my adult life, and last month my teammate Tarka Lepenier and I finished uh, the most ambitious expedition uh, I've ever attempted. In fact, it feels like I've been transported straight here from uh, four months in the middle of nowhere, mostly grunting and swearing,、uh, straight to the TED stage. So you can imagine that's a, a transition that hasn't been entirely seamless.、Um, one of the, the, the interesting Side effects seems to be that my short-term memory is entirely shot, so、um, I've had to write some notes、um, to avoid too much grunting and swearing in the next 17 minutes.、Um, this is the first talk I've given about this expedition, and while we weren't sequencing genomes or building space telescopes,、um, this is a story about giving everything we had to achieve something that hadn't been done before. So I hope in that you might find some food for thought. It was a journey. Uh, an expedition in Antarctica, the coldest, windiest, driest, and highest altitude continent on Earth. It's a fascinating place. It's a huge place. It's twice the size of Australia,、uh, a continent that is the same size as China and India put together. As an aside, I have experienced an interesting phenomenon in the last few days. Something I, I, I expect Chris Hadfield may get at TED in a few years' time:、uh, conversations that go something like this. Oh, Antarctica! Awesome. My Husband and I did Antarctica、uh, with with Lindblad for our anniversary. <laughs> Or oh, cool! Did you did you go there for the the marathon? <laughs> our journey was in fact、uh, 69 marathons back to back in 105 days,、uh, 18 an 1800 mile round trip on foot from the coast of Antarctica to the South Pole and back again.、Uh, in the process, we broke the record for the longest human powered. Polar journey in history by more than 400 miles. For those of you from the Bay Area, it was the same as walking from here to San Francisco, then turning around and walking back again. So, as camping trips go, it was a long one, and one I've I've seen summarised most succinctly here on the hallowed pages of、uh, <laughs> Business Insider Malaysia. <laughs> Chris Hadfield talked so eloquently about fear and about the odds of、uh, success, and indeed the odds of survival.、Uh, of the nine people in history that had attempted this journey before us, none had made it to the pole and back, and five had died in the process. This is Captain Robert Falcon Scott. He led the last team to attempt this expedition. Scott and his rival, Sir Ernest Shackleton, over the space of a decade. Both led expeditions, battling to become the first to reach the South Pole, to chart and map the interior of Antarctica, a place we knew less about at the time than the surface of the Moon, because we could see the Moon through telescopes. Antarctica was, for the most part, a century ago uncharted. Some of you may know the story. Scott's last expedition, the Terra Nova expedition, in 1910, started as a, a giant siege-style approach.、He、had a big team using、uh, ponies, using dogs, using、uh, petrol-driven tractors. Dropping multiple depots,、uh, pre-positioned depots of food and fuel, through which Scott's final team of five would travel to the pole, where they would turn around and ski back to the coast again on foot.、Uh, Scott and his final team of five arrived at the South Pole 
in January 1912 to find they had been beaten to it by a Norwegian team led by Roald Amundsen, who rode uh, on dog sleds. Scott's team uh, ended up on foot. And for more than a century, this journey uh, has remained unfinished. Scott's team of five died on the return journey. And for the last decade, I've been asking myself why that is. Uh, how come this has remained the high watermark? Scott's team covered 1,600 miles on foot. No one's come close to that ever since. So this, this is the high watermark of human endurance, human endeavor, human athletic achievement in arguably the harshest climate on Earth. It was as if the, the, the marathon record has remained unbroken since 1912. Uh, and of course, some strange and predictable combination of curiosity, uh, stubbornness, and probably hubris led me to thinking I might be the man to try and finish the job. Unlike Scott's expedition, there were just two of us, and we set off from the coast of Antarctica in October last year, uh, dragging everything ourselves, um, a process Scott called man-hauling. And when I say it was like walking from here to San Francisco and back, I actually mean it was like dragging something that weighs a shade more than the heaviest ever NFL player. Our sledges weighed 200 kilos, or 440 pounds each at the start. Uh, the same weights that the weakest of Scott's ponies pulled. Uh, early on, we averaged 0.5 miles per hour. Perhaps the reason no one had attempted this journey until now, in more than a century, was that no one had been quite stupid enough to try. And while I can't claim we were exploring in the, in the genuine Edwardian sense of the word, we weren't naming any mountains or mapping any, any uncharted valleys, uh, I think we were stepping into uncharted territory in a human sense. Um, certainly, if in the future we learn there is an area of the human brain that lights up when one curses oneself, I won't be at all surprised. <laughs> You've heard that the average American spends 90% of their time indoors. We didn't go indoors for nearly four months. We didn't see a sunset either. It was 24-hour daylight. Living conditions were quite spartan. I changed my underwear three times in 105 days. And Tarka and I shared 30 square feet under canvas. Though we did have some technology that Scott could never have imagined. And we blogged live every evening from the tent via a laptop and a custom-made satellite transmitter, all of which were solar-powered. We had a flexible photovoltaic panel over the tent. And the writing was important to me. As a kid, I was inspired by the literature of adventure and exploration. And I think we've all seen here this week the importance and the power of storytelling. So we had some 21st century gear, but the reality is that the challenges that Scott faced were the same that we faced, those of the weather and of what Scott called glide, the amount of friction between the sledges and the snow. Uh, the lowest wind chill we experienced was in the minus 70s, and we had zero visibility, what's called whiteout, for much of our journey. We traveled up and down one of the largest and most dangerous glaciers in the world, the Beardmore Glacier. Uh, it's 110 miles long. Most of its surface is what's called blue ice. You can see it's a beautiful, shimmering, steel-hard blue surface uh, covered with thousands and thousands of crevasses, uh, these deep cracks in the glacial ice, uh, up to 200 feet deep. Planes can't land here, so we were uh, at the most uh, risk, technically, when we, when we had the slimmest chance of being rescued. We got to the South Pole after 61 days on foot, uh, with one day off through bad weather. And I'm sad to say it was something of an anticlimax. There's a permanent American base, 
uh, the Amundsen Scott South Pole Station. Uh, at the South Pole, there is a, they have an airstrip, they have a canteen, they have uh, hot showers, they have a post office, a tourist shop, uh, a basketball court that doubles as a movie theater. So it's a bit different these days. And there's also acres of junk. I, I think it's a, a marvelous thing that humans can exist uh, 365 days of the year uh, with you know, hamburgers and hot showers and movie, movie theaters. Uh, but it does seem to produce a lot of empty cardboard boxes. You can see on the left of this photograph, uh, several square acres of junk waiting to be flown out from the South Pole. Uh, but there is also a pole at the South Pole. Uh, and we got there on foot, unassisted, unsupported by the hardest route, 900 miles uh, in record time, dragging more weight than anyone in history. And if we'd stopped there and flown home, which would have been the, the eminently sensible thing to do, um, then my talk would end here, and it would end something like this. If you have the right team around you, the right tools, the right technology, and if you have enough self-belief and enough determination, then anything is possible. But then we turned around. And this is where things get interesting. Uh, high on the Antarctic plateau, uh, over 10,000 feet, it's very windy, very cold, very dry, uh, we were exhausted. We'd covered 35 marathons, we were only halfway, and we had a safety net, of course, of ski planes and satellite phones and, and live 24-hour tracking beacons that didn't exist for Scott. But in hindsight, rather than making our lives easier, this safety net actually allowed us to cut things very fine indeed, uh, to sail very close to our absolute limits as human beings. And it is an exquisite form of torture to exhaust yourself to the point of starvation day after day while dragging a sledge full of food. Uh, for years, I've been writing glib lines in sponsorship proposals about pushing the limits of human endurance. But in reality, that was a very frightening place to be indeed. Uh, we'd had, before we got to the bowl, two weeks of almost permanent headwind, which slowed us down. As a result, we'd had several days of eating half rations. We had a, a finite amount of food in the sledges to make this journey, so uh, we were trying to string that out by, by reducing our intake to half uh, the calories we should have been eating. As a result, we both became increasingly hyperglycemic. We had uh, low blood sugar level day, day, day after day and increasingly susceptible to the extreme cold. Tarka took this photo of me one evening uh, after I'd nearly passed out with hypothermia. We both had uh, repeated bouts uh, of hypothermia, something I hadn't experienced before. And it was very humbling indeed, as much as you might like to think, as I do, that you're the kind of person who doesn't quit it will go down swinging. Um, hypothermia doesn't leave you much choice. You, you become um, utterly incapacitated. It's like being a, a drunk toddler. Um, you become pathetic. Um, I, I remember feeling just, uh, just wanting to lie down and, and, and quit. Um, it was a peculiar, peculiar feeling and a real uh, surprise to me to be debilitated to that degree. And then we ran out of food completely. Uh, 46 miles short of the first of the depots that we'd laid on our outward journey. We'd laid 10 depots of food, literally burying food and fuel for our return journey. The fuel is for a cooker, so you can melt snow to get water. Uh, and I was forced to make the decision to call for a resupply flight, a ski plane carrying uh, eight days of food to sort of tide us over that gap. Uh, that took 12 hours to reach us from the other side of Antarctica. Calling for that plane 
was one of the toughest decisions of my, of my life. And I sound like a bit of a fraud standing here now with, with a sort of belly. Um, I've put on 30 pounds in the last three weeks. Uh, being that hungry has left an interesting sort of mental scar, which is that I, 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 I've been hoovering up every uh, hotel buffet that I can find. <laughs> but we were genuinely quite hungry and in quite a bad way. Um, I don't regret calling for that plane for a second because I'm still standing here alive with all digits intact. Uh, telling this story, but um, getting external assistance like that was, was never part of the plan, and it's something my ego is still struggling with. This was the biggest dream I've ever had, and it was so nearly perfect. On the way back down to the coast, uh, our crampons, they're the spikes on our boots that we have for traveling over this blue ice on the glacier, broke on the top of the Beardmore. We still had 100 miles to go downhill on very slippery, rock-hard blue ice. They needed repairing almost every hour. Um, to give you an idea of scale, uh, this is looking down towards the mouth of the Beardmore Glacier. You could fit the entirety of Manhattan in the gap on the horizon. Uh, it's 20 miles between Mount Hope and Mount Kiffin. Uh, I've never felt as small as I did in Antarctica. And when we got down to the mouth of the glacier, we found fresh snow had obscured uh, the dozens of deep crevasses. Uh, one of Shackleton's men described crossing this sort of terrain as like walking over the glass roof of a railway station. Uh, we fell through uh, more times than I can remember, usually just putting a ski or a boot through the, the snow. Uh, occasionally we went in all the way up to our armpits, but thankfully never deeper than that. And less than five weeks ago, after 105 days, we crossed this oddly inauspicious finish line, uh, the coast of Ross Island on the New Zealand side of Antarctica. You can see the uh, the ice in the foreground and the sort of rubbly rock uh, behind that. Behind us lay an unbroken ski trail of nearly 1,800 miles. We made the longest ever polar journey on foot, something I've been dreaming of doing for a decade. And looking back, I still stand by all the things I've been saying for years about the importance of goals and determination and self-belief. But I'll also admit that I haven't given much thought to what happens when you reach the all-consuming goal that you've dedicated most of your adult life to. And the reality is that I'm still figuring that bit out. Uh, as I said, I, I, there are very few superficial signs that I've been away. I've put on 30 pounds, I've, I've got some very faint, they're probably covered in makeup now, frostbite scars, I've got one on my nose, one on each cheek from where the goggles are. Um, but inside, I am a very different person indeed. Um, if I'm honest, Antarctica challenged me and humbled me so deeply that I'm not sure I'll ever be able to put it into words. And I'm still struggling to piece together my thoughts. That I'm standing here telling you this story is proof that we all can accomplish great things through ambition, through passion, through sheer stubbornness, by refusing to quit that if you dream something hard enough, as Sting said, it does indeed come to pass. But I'm also standing here saying, you know what, that cliché about the journey being more important than the destination, um, there's something in that. The closer I got to my finish line, that rubbly, rocky coast of Ross Island, the more I started to realize that the biggest lesson that this very long very hard walk, might be teaching me is that happiness is not a finish line. 
that for us humans, the perfection that so many of us seem to dream of might not ever be truly attainable. And that if we can't feel content here, today, now, uh, on our journeys, amidst the, the mess and the striving uh, that we all inhabit, the, the open loops, the half-finished to-do lists, the could-do-better-next-times, then we might never feel it. Um, a lot of people have asked me what's next. Uh, right now, I'm very happy just recovering and in front of hotel buffets. But <laughs> as Bob Hope put it, I feel very humble, but I think I have the strength of character to fight it. Uh, thank you. <laughs>